Welcome to The Lowdown, KMXT's new daily show dedicated to giving you the up-to-date information we have available on the COVID-19 outbreak and how it's impacting life on Kodiak Island. The Lowdown will focus on the facts as provided to us by local and state officials. During the show, we give you access to local officials and experts on COVID-19 and community actions related to it. If you have questions for our guests, please email them to lowdown at kmxt.org or call KMXT at 486-3181. You can find a list of upcoming guests on our Facebook page or on our website, kmxt.org. Audio from each day's program will be posted on the website. <laughs> yeah, what do you want? You want to know the the question before the show starts? Un- yeah. Unlikely. Uh, morning. Thanks for tuning into our Wednesday Doc of the Rock version of uh, Lowdown. Today we have in the studio Dr. Steve Smith from Providence, Dr. Shanna Theobald from the Kodiak Ambulatory Care Clinic, and nurse practitioner Elsa DeHart from Public Health. Four eight six three one eight one. If you have a question you'd like the panel to tackle during the course of the show, we'll try and get it in and get them to talk about it. Uh, there's a lot to talk about today, so we're going to jump right in. And I'm going to take one of the questions that we have uh, online. It is, as an elder arrived before the earthquake, I've noticed with concern the more young folks every day don't wear masks in public. Many are strangers in town. The majority of new cases in Alaska and in the states are 20 to 40-year-olds, uh, and most long-term Kodiakans care about others and wear masks. Young people have stronger immune systems, believe they're invulnerable, and recent studies of non-symptomatic carriers have shown they can develop permanent damage to their lungs and later develop really nasty effects from this disease. Most folks want to support our community and our local businesses. However, it's noticeable they're increasingly avoiding places where non-maskers attend. How can we as a community encourage non-contentious use of masks in public? Wow. Um, so I think <laughs> all of that's very well said. Um, we, The younger population a lot of times either recovers from most illnesses and or may not even be aware of COVID. And it's those of us who are in the higher risk um, groups um, are always concerned about our health. I think that we just have to keep encouraging people to be socially responsible, um, to wear a mask, um, respect people's distance, and try and limit exposure. Um, I certainly understand not going to businesses where people are congregating without masks. I think, you know, anytime you increase the concentration of, of people who um, aren't social distancing, aren't wearing a mask to try and limit their own um, spread to other individuals, that you're, you're at a higher risk. That was well said, very well said. And yeah, I mean, Dr. Zink said something on the last ECHO meeting. She said, masks are not the enemy. The mandates are not the enemy. We are not the enemy of each other. The virus is the enemy. And really we're all, the whole, you know, idea with everything is to work together to make sure we protect each other and ourselves from the virus. And I think it's really good to look at it from that perspective. Is there, is there, 
dissension among the ranks? I mean, is is there uh, is there a majority or a supermajority of physicians and people work in the medical field that are a proponents of mask wearing? Yes, I would say mm -hmm. definitely. Yeah. Every journal article I read, I even was looking up, you know, what are the potential dangers or harms from wearing a mask because that is a lot of, you know, what we're seeing on social media and, and in the news and the overwhelming evidence and I think the overwhelming physician groups are all in agreement that masks are not harmful. You may breathe in a little bit more carbon dioxide than you would without a mask, but not at any harmful level. And um, there really is no dangers. I mean, nurses, physicians, you know, a lot of us wear masks several hours a day. In many countries, people wear masks. We were talking earlier, if a volcano erupted or if we knew our air quality was really poor, we would wear a mask and there would be no, you know, there's no harm that comes from all those different populations wearing masks and we really are no different. So there's no, is there truth to the fact that if you have the virus and you have a mask on, you're going to accelerate it and it's going to uh, go into your lungs and you're going to get it worse than you have it now? That's a great question. I don't yeah. think. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't think we necessarily know the answer to that. But I mean, if you have the virus already in your system, your system's already working to fight it off. And yeah, and I don't think that exhaling virus into your mask—it's not going to replicate in the mask. It's going to replicate inside your system, and so your body's already starting to um, work on that virus. I. Theoretically, you could maybe increase your viral load, but that's probably a pretty low probability. Again, mm -hmm. if you can contain that virus to your own body, your body will take care of that or work on that, and you're not giving it to somebody else. And I think Shanna brought out a good point that the only enemy in this whole thing is the virus, which is not doing what it's supposed to. It's a new virus to our human um, system it's not slowing down in the summer like other coronaviruses do it just keeps going because it's <clears throat> it's in the ideal environment we have a lot of close contact we have people who it's our bodies have never seen this type of virus before that's why they call it a novel or new virus and so it's the perfect system for this virus and we just have to try and limit its ability to spread while our immune systems and researchers can come up with better options. Well, what do we know now about asymptomatic uh, carriers? You know, isn't this is just such a weird disease that, you know, so many people could have no symptoms whatsoever and test positive and then no, not even have any really significant effects to it where some people, yeah. you know, really get pounded by it. Mm -hmm. So what kind of thing are we really dealing with? I mean, are we still just <laughs> learning? Well, the virus is smart. I mean, that's a perfect system for this virus is that asymptomatic people spread it around. Mm -hmm. Everybody, you know, if you're symptomatic and you've got a fever, chills, or worse respiratory problems, you're going to know it, we're going to know it, and we're going to do things to try and help you and keep you away from other people. But, I mean, this is a smart virus. It yeah. It's doing what it wants to do and go, man, 
I got the perfect world. I got people running around who don't know they have it. Well, isn't that what the the perception is on the part of a lot of people, though, that, that this is not a really troublesome thing, that they're going to get it or they already have it or they already had it, and, uh, you know, nothing is going to come out of it. Yes. Eventually that will happen. And, and so what those individuals are really alluding to is herd immunity where enough of the population has been exposed to an illness um, either because of natural or vaccination that it that the um, amount of the actual illness in the overall populations is pretty low so your chance of being exposed to it goes way down uh, and then eventually that's going to happen um, we'll have herd immunity either because enough people have been exposed to it who have then become immune or we have developed a vaccine and accelerated that immunity process but in that interim um, with a virus that our system hasn't seen any susceptible individuals are at, at extremely high risk i think that's also why masks are important because nobody knows what that virus is going to do in their body and there's plenty of cases with young, fairly healthy people, you know, with no known risk factors who become critically ill. And then, yeah, there are asymptomatic people that get through it just fine, but you have no guarantees what it, that case is going to look like for you and or for your loved ones, your family, your elders. And so I think really trying to protect each other as long as possible and also uh, keep the curve flat because, you know, right now Houston, a lot of other states are running out of those critical resources. Mm -hmm. And so we're still trying to keep the lid on it make sure it doesn't get out of hand and that's where masks are really important and, the, and just yeah keeping in mind the whole point is to protect each other and i think part of it too is is that we have not seen in kodiak um really bad cases yet you know we've mm -hmm. had fairly mild cases yes. that we've been able to so far keep out of the hospital um and and isolate pretty well but um, it gives people a sense of security that I'm not sure is is warranted. Well, I'm also thinking that one we we really don't know what those horrific long-term effects are on the yeah. people mm -hmm. that have it that recover, and exactly. two, you know, if only three percent of the population has already seen this and we already have 130,000 people dead, by the time we rein this thing in, if it gets to that herd immunity point. That 130,000, which is a, an enormous number to begin with right now, is 10 times higher than that, right? I mean, it's yeah. staggering, yes. Yeah. Um, so that's why the masks are important, and that's why, you know, uh, that's why we have to treat it with a lot more caution than some people are treating it, I guess. I would agree. But you're the medical folks. And you're the ones that need to get that out to people. Um, as a follow-up to that, somebody says, well, I'm in a store wearing a mask, and somebody is in there coughing their head off, head off, not wearing a mask. Is there anything that we can do about it? Move away. Yeah, stay away from them. <laughs> stay away from them. <laughs> but... Really, there's nothing. There's nothing no. you can do about it, right? You could ask them. Right, you could ask them politely, and if you have an extra mask in your pocket, say, "Hey, here, just happen to have one. If you'd wear it, but you know, you just when you see somebody like that, make sure you're not in a confined space. Distance is always helpful. 
Yep. And I do hear a lot of people complaining, like they will go in a place uh, to a business or whatever, and their employees aren't wearing masks, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you know, it's your choice. I mean, not to shop there. And if people aren't coming in because their employees aren't wearing masks, then, you know, the social pressure would be to wear those masks. So it's a lot depends on our community altogether. So in, in terms of confinement, though, if you're in a small enclosed space with somebody and there's a chance that they don't have to cough on you, it's just going to reach you through 10 minutes yeah. of, mm-hmm. of, of just it's just going to get through you. Right. If you're in a room and somebody's singing, it's, chances are it's a lot less time that you have to be in close proximity. But if you're in a store and you're 10 feet away, how much do you have to worry about where you're at? Do you just move fast? Well, that always <laughs> helps. And, and you still, you know, you don't want to be in their direct stream if they're coughing. And don't forget to hand wash, hand clean, mm-hmm. yeah. because you're touching surfaces. And so use the hand cleaner that they have at um, the stores. You know, I have one in my car. I get into the car. I use it. So, I mean, it isn't just respiratory. you got to remember it's going to temporarily be on surfaces so you you still have to practice good so if you're just in the enclosed space it really doesn't make much difference if the virus gets to you somehow if you wash your eyes or you know clean out your nose and wash your hands you should be fine i mean they, they don't include that wash your nose but you you had mentioned <laughs> last week that you, you you we wear goggles you know that it, it it has to look for a point where it can get into your body sure. pretty easily yeah yeah i was just reading a new england journal of medicine article from the end of may and they were saying that you know a lot of the virus can be suspended in the air for three hours and is still transmissible at that point so it, ex- exactly what you're saying just talking you know things like singing obviously coughing expels even more of those droplets um, but yeah, there's no, I mean, when you are in the store wearing a mask, trying to, you know, be vigilant about not touching your mask and not, you know, pulling your mask down to scratch your nose and then ha- cleaning your hands really good afterwards. I think all of those things are really important to just keep in mind. It's easy to kind of drop our guard and get, you know, slack about things. But I think really continuing to imagine that that virus really could be anywhere. Okay, let's let's jump a little bit into testing we had a lot of issues with testing and a lot of questions from people this week about testing and why the numbers don't match up (laughs) you mean with our positives right so um sometimes you know we are really good in kodiak so when we get a positive case the clinics let us know immediately before they've done anything right any of their paperwork or anything they let us know and we jump right on it and start isolating people and um, working the case. And we do let the emergency operations center know and they share it with the community, you know, that we have had cases. But sometimes on the backside, that paperwork going from, you know, the clinics into to the epi and all those things that they're getting every day can take a little while and get kind of clogged up. So from yesterday afternoon, I was talking with uh, the uh, um, head epidemiologist over in Epi and we kind of figured out that they hadn't gotten the, that they hadn't counted our last two cases yet. So that's why the the numbers are a little bit off. So those should be on there um, soon, but sometimes we're so good and we're so right on it that we're not waiting for it to come down from them. We're doing it right away. So that's why the count's a little different on the state website than what we know is true. So there is still some confusion about 
non-residents and residents and how they're reported and why they don't come up on the Kodiak list, so we don't really know what that number is. And maybe you can explain that, and then you you guys rolled out a new little handy-dandy yesterday, right? Um, the island, the Kodiak Island Borough, is that what you're talking about there is that they did? Yeah, the borough is actually doing their own little dashboard now, which is very nice and showing um, kind of that. So when somebody comes in or when they when they – you know, we have a lot of people everywhere in the world these days that are living or, or working other places than their main residence. And so those are considered non-residents. So their case is attributed to the state that they maintain their main residence. However, they are still in uh, Alaska and Kodiak, and we are doing all their work and isolating them and taking care of them as people here. So they're, they're counted as non-residents. So, um, yes. So where do you find that though? When you go to the state site and you look up and you see Kodiak and it says three or whatever. Yeah. And you so go, I think it that... says three, I think right now it says three in-state, three non-residents. I do think that they are counting part of that, but, um, and that's because they hadn't counted our last two who were both be non-residents. So, so there is of course a tendency in the public to think that for some reason numbers are getting hidden and that you you don't want for some reason to to let the numbers out. Well, and that's why we have worked really hard with the clinics and with the EOC to make sure in Kodiak we let somebody know when there's a case as soon as we, I mean, you know, we give we we make sure that the provider has enough time to talk to the person first, you know. But then we, we put it out there that we have another case because we really want to be that up on it. And, you know, locally we can do that. It's just, you know, you have to think about the numbers that we're seeing across the state right now that are pouring into the, you know, that they're trying to manage all that data. Um, it's it's incredible, you know, the numbers so, out there. So, so, so they, uh, Mike, I'd like, so if somebody's using that reasoning, hey, they're withholding information and it's worse, then take that thought process and go, oh, then maybe I should wear my mask. Maybe I <laughs> should you, wear, Steve. you know. That's a really good point. <laughs> you know, okay, let's, this is serious. Let's, let's, you know, do what we can to keep those numbers from getting worse, so. Yeah, so if you think they're underestimating, you know, it's worse yeah. than you think it is. I, mean, I don't think anybody's trying to hide information, but take that thought process. I, I'm go. just passing along, you know, the critical comments that sure. you hear. Yeah. It's hard. And I know that, like, they just found out the two deaths that they just added recently were actually people, the Alaskans, who were out of state and had died. And it took, and that was like in May. And so it took several weeks for that information to be incorporated into our numbers. You know, it just takes a long time for some times for this data to sift through, you know. And yep. because they want to make sure it is accurate, too, when they receive it, you know. So they're not just going to take my word for it that, yes, we have a case. They want to see the paper that says, yes, this was a positive in the circumstances. So that's what it takes we've been thinking about putting something on our on our website that people could go to now and mm -hmm. then the borough has a resource i mean what what information should be on there that would be most helpful to people as far as you know digesting this down and saying okay these are we, we treat people differently because they're residents and non-residents is there a reason to Oh, no, it's only for the numbers, because if we're going to attribute somebody from um, Colorado to Colorado's number, we don't want to double count them either in the big number, in the big picture. So they have to make some sort of rules for how they're going to count people. And you have to think about, you know, the whole country as a whole, when they're trying to keep these numbers, they have to 
they're, they want to try to give people accurate numbers. So we don't want to double count people. So that's why it's that way. They're separated out. Okay. It, for, for the community spread issue though, is it, is it a, a byproduct product of non-resident is it, you know what I mean? You know, I have to say that in Kodiak so far, and you know, there's people flying in every day that we don't know about and have no idea about, but um, the people that have come in were mostly people who were really following the rules and that's how we picked up on them and caught them and, and saw that, you know, they were positive early. And so um, we were really lucky that way because they weren't out there spreading it around. Um, not everybody follows the rules, unfortunately, but you know, for those those folks that have, and and our employers here in town, for the most part, have been really great about making sure that people that they bring into work are doing what they need to do. So we did have indication last week that there was community transmission, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and and we haven't seen numbers jump yet. No, and we're lucky that we haven't. We don't know why that is. But there has been community, we've had the, what, three of our cases have been community transmission, you know, that we can't identify. Well, one, we, we know it happened in the community, but we did know the source, so that was easily isolated. They'd already been isolated. So the contact tracing is complete. But you weren't successful in then identifying. No, the we other... often can't. I mean, you know, you can look at somebody and they'll say, well, you know, they give you their 14 day look back. You know, I mean, they're, we're trying to look for the source back a couple of weeks and we're like, where were you? What happened? And, you know, you look as carefully as you can. Well, they were at the grocery store. They went to Walmart. Maybe they took some takeout. They did just some normal kind of everyday things, but never really had super close contact with anybody that we can identify, you know, that was. But those are the and normal so, kind of places that everybody I else know. goes well, that's to all what the time. I, that's why we're encouraging you to wear your mask. Because <laughs> what the heck, you know, it's like, it can happen. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's out there. We know it's out there. So um, <clears throat> what, is the, what is the protocol? How does the, when the, the state advises the local EOC of positive cases, how long from when the test results come in to when they contact the EOC? Well, here in town, it's, within moments. I mean, I'll get an, I usually, they call the health center and let us know now that we're doing all the rapid tests, they let us know very quickly that there's a positive and then we work with the providers to make sure that they've talked to the person and that they know we're, you know, we're going to be doing this investigation and we let the EOC know then. So here it's very quickly that we know our numbers because we are a small community. So, um, from what I have heard from people, the testing has gone through the roof in town yes now. it has <laughs> like lines of 60 70 people in some locations to look to get tested i talked to um somebody at candy and they said that day before yesterday they had done 148 tests wow. that is a lot of tests and you have to remember you know i mean just it, it, look at the enormous amounts of paperwork that's involved with doing 148 tests and trying to make sure that all that is and you know i mean it's it's huge i mean we really are blossoming and i really want to encourage people there are on the state website if you're just one of those people that's like i think i want to be tested because who knows you know kind of thing if there are some um tests out there that are online now that you can call up they fedex you the kit you do it yourself send it back in and it's all done you know very efficiently um within shorter times and a lot of times you get it back from a laboratory so we're trying to really across the state you know in 
encourage people to use that. In fact, in Anchorage, they're now using the curatives at the airport. And the curative testing is a test where you like, it uses saliva and then gets shipped off to a place in California. But um, so they're using those now, which the labs, then they're like, oh, we can breathe again. We're not getting bags of tests from the airport every day. I think one day last week, they had 5,000 people at the Anchorage airport who got tested. So, you know, if we can start to use some of these things that'll take it off the pressure off of our local labs and places, Mm -hmm. then that's um, huge. You know, we can get more people tested. So how effective are these ones that you do there yourself? Is, they're as efficient as, as anything else. Because really? really you can do, yeah, and you can do the self-swabs yourself even at the clinics, you know, where you can use the things as long as you're doing your sample properly. Isn't this the same kind of <clears throat> test, though, where you stick it into the back of your brain? Well, they did a lot of research on that. And when we first started <laughs> doing them, we did do them. And probably if you go to if you go to um, the ER, that's what you're going to get, right? <laughs> I mean, they're not going to slack off at yeah, all. Yeah, we go for the brain. Yeah, they go for the brain. But most people, you can just, there's a midterm, and it kind of like you can put a, a swab up into someone's nose and turn it around a few times and then let it sit there, put it in the other nose, you know, turn it around, let it sit there for and get as, you know, the statistics are showing you can get as good a sample as you can doing the tickling your brain. And it's a lot easier on the staff that's doing the test because they can, somebody can hold the swab themselves and they're not right in their face and we're getting as good a results. And that's what these, yeah. these other tests are based on or a lot of these other ways they're finding that they can find about the virus as efficiently. So why is there such a demand right now? Because the numbers went up in town? Is that it? I think that, I think it's also because everybody's requiring tests now, right? Right, yeah. Everybody's Travel demanding and... that you have a test before you go to work, before you do this, before you do that, that you have to have a test. And so I think that's a lot of it. That's what I, yeah. I don't know what you guys are seeing. Well, no, but, that, um, that would make sense. Yeah. I mean, you're just, you, to travel into the state, you have to have a test. It, you know, and a lot of employers require that. So I know there was a big panic because there's a ferry going out on the 6th, and you, it, the original mandate was you had to have a test 72 hours ahead of time. And both Canna and, and KCHC are taking a break over the 4th, so there wouldn't have been any place to get the So luckily, they changed all those mandates and made it. It was much fairer because down in southeast, you didn't have to have a test to get on the ferry to ride it locally, you know, and here they were making everybody get tested. And so luckily, they changed that mandate. So so what is the turnaround town now? If you have a rapid test, how, how quickly do you get the results back? The same day. Yeah. But they, they do all the samples and then they take them back to the lab and start running them all, you know, so it, it, there's a time lag. So you, you may do your test at 10 in the morning, but you may get your answer at four in the evening, you know, afternoon. Okay. But if you have a PCR test, then that's going off that's to a lab going off somewhere. Island and, and, you know, depending on the, on the lab, you know, like I'm saying, if, if we can take some of that pressure off the lab, we can get the test back faster. But they were so overwhelmed there for a while with the boost in testing that it was taking you know, a week sometimes to get it, to get an answer back. And a lot of times those people had already recovered and infected how many people because they didn't know they were positive. So do you have an option when you go in for testing? Can you say, I would like to have the rapid test because I want my results back fast? You could ask, but it's really going to be, they're going to prioritize how it is. And I think that even was saying the other day that at Canada, they found that it takes as long for them to package, do the paperwork and ship tests off as it does just to run them. So they've just been running them. So, but that may change, you know, I don't know how that's, how that'll, you know, okay. how it shakes out. So somebody is making a plan. They want to get out of here uh, and, you know, um, 
get a test or you mm -hmm. want to uh, uh, test somebody who's been here for a while to see if they can come out of quarantine. Um, is the the turnaround time on the one you do through the mail? Um, it, it's really fast. So Dr. Anders, who's um, ANTHC, he did one, but he was in Anchorage. And so he, he ordered it. He ordered it on a Tuesday. He got it on a Wednesday, took his sample, sent it back out, and he had an answer within 51 hours. So that's even faster than most of the labs. Yeah. Now, I'm dying for somebody here in Kodiak, a bunch of people to try it out so we can see how long it takes here, you know, with our Kodiak circumstances, you know, uh -huh. how fast we could get one back. So I've been really encouraging people to, yeah. to give the, that a shot. The Pixel test, in case anyone's interested. Yeah. Pixel, if you, if you search, just Google Pixel coronavirus, it will pop up and it walks you through the steps mm -hmm. for ordering it. You can put your insurance in or you can pay mm -hmm. out of pocket up front $119 and it seems really slick. I haven't mm -hmm. ordered it yet, though, because we're doing weekly testing at our clinic now for all of our employees, uh, just to screening. Yeah, and there's a couple sure. other ones out there, too. I can't remember their names right off. That's kind of the, the one I'm most familiar with. But, yeah, it's um, it's definitely an option. So we're going to jump a little bit here into antibody testing. I have a couple of questions on that. Has anybody anybody's antibody tests come back positive? Yes, we've had three positives so far. Um, one, we retested it and it came back negative. That was the first one we had. And then two were true positives. One of them was one of the cases that was still shedding virus, had a positive PCR after we did the antibody test. And one of them was he had traveled, um, I think had a roommate from China, had very, they all, they thought they had coronavirus before and they were testing to just see if they had the antibodies and they did. So those two, the two that were positive and confirmed positive were true positives. So are there people coming into your clinic specifically just to get the antibody test? Yes. Yeah. And a lot of them, the majority of them are, you know, they say I had symptoms, I had the worst flu I've ever had, or I was traveling or, you know, I was in contact with people from China, you know, January, February, and I got sick after that. So the majority of those are, you know, we kind of look through their history some of them are just curious like have i had it do we have herd immunity yet mm -hmm. and then it was either asymptomatic or had mild symptoms and just didn't know and a, the majority of them have been negative we haven't had anyone just from kodiak living in kodiak who got the antibody test that has tested positive so it, there really doesn't seem to be a high you know so total herd immunity here yeah. <laughs> so total number of antibody tests that you've already conducted or been done in town is what hundreds I would say I don't know because a lot of the clinics are doing them too by yeah, serology and sending them off to labs so and you guys have done probably 150 now yeah. maybe and and so I I don't know you know we have no idea but we have not been seeing many positives at all so, so that's we got like one percent less than one percent oh definitely positives yeah and again the antibody test I think it's important to know we don't know I mean they've tested the accuracy of it in a lab setting in a controlled environment but, you know, if you're just pricking somebody, getting some blood from them and running it, what is the true accuracy in a real live patient? That is still unknown. So I know some of the tests, um, I think it was UCLA or one of the one of the big organizations in California did their own comparison study and was able to determine the accuracy. But there are, there are 150 to 100 antibody tests that have been emergency approved by the FDA and so the majority of those have not had any like in vivo testing with live patients so just something to keep in mind yeah 
So as a follow-up to that, somebody said, I've been reading studies about antibodies starting to fall out of people's systems after two or three months. What kind of implications does this have on a place like Kodiak until a vaccine gets developed? Well, I think that goes, and we've talked about this before, if somebody has antibodies, what does that mean for long term? I mean, if they, is it going to provide immunity two months from now or one year from now or 10 years from now? And, and that's, we won't know that answer until time has passed. So, so that's a very good question is, okay, did this convey immunity or not? Um, and then with antibodies, um, our immune system also has the, uh, it's called an anamnestic response, but the ability to remember a past infection for some infections. And so you may not detect an antibody, but if it's re-exposed to that same um, antigen that provoked the first immune response, then it just rapidly, it goes, oh, I remember this, and man, it mm -hmm. kicks into high gear. So the fact that you can't detect it doesn't mean that there's immunity but also it doesn't guarantee immunity. So we're, we're really in infancy in these studies. And so I think all of these antibody tests are, they're building a database for future reference. Um, and I, I hope it conveys immunity um, because that's the theory behind a vaccine. Mm -hmm. There but have been some studies though that show in <coughs> I think China, Taiwan, some of the countries that had this earlier in the year, that those people are reacquiring coronavirus a second time around. So the, it is going to be very yeah. interesting to see so what happens. Yeah, that is not good news, right? Well, there. and then no. some of those studies too, weren't they? I mean, they're like their original diagnosis was like yes. by X-ray, so we don't know that maybe yes. they did have something else that was assumed to be. So until we get some better studies, exactly. this is just what it's appearing to be. And the other thing about testing, I'll throw out there is, is that. Really, truly, the best, safest thing is to quarantine because we are seeing people who are at day 10, day 14 of their quarantines testing positive, you know, who are like, you know, like more like day 10, you know, yeah. or, and we don't maybe see it till the end. But um, so really that quarantining is the is the safest way. I mean, we have yes. testing. And we say, yes, you might be safe after a week. If you take that second test, you know, 10 days, that's pretty good. But um, just to remember that that's still out there. Um, that's that's really interesting to know because from maybe it's what I wanted to hear last time. But when it, when you first suggested that it was get the first test, make sure it's negative, quarantine yourself for up to fourteen days. Mm -hmm. But if you're in the seven day range, you're sort seven of to ten. Yeah. Yeah. Now you're saying 10, though. That makes Well, it... I'm saying it's that's that yeah. range. You know, we're saying like a week, and even the state kind of suggests 7 to 10 days. Yeah. Um, if you look at the graph, yeah. it rises. You know, the antibodies or the actually the virus um, load increases. And between 7 to 10 days, it's kind of reaching the peak. And at 14, it reaches the peak. Yeah. So, not, you know, I forget the exact numbers, but 90% of, or I can't remember the exact yeah. percentage, but a higher percentage, percentage, the more time you wait the closer to, you know, true accuracy we get. So that's why the range is 7 to 10 days because you get mm -hmm. kind of that critical mass mm -hmm. in that range. But 14... And somebody could slide by and not yes. and still get really sick at day... I mean, c kind of like day 14 is because that's sort of the... 
the max that they've seen when people have gotten sick from the incubation period can be that long. And we're going a little bit on the safe edge. And like somebody who's tested positive on day 14 probably was positive on day 12 and we just didn't test them, you know, or whatever. But Dr. um, Zink says every meeting, quarantining 14 days plus getting that test at the end of 14 days is hands down the way that we are, you know, if you really want to be safe, that's the best way to do it. So if you cheat and cut down the time on the quarantine, you're putting yourself at risk and you shouldn't do it. And And others. Um, Let's talk about statewide numbers. You know, trends throughout the United States right now are going through the roof in some areas. In Alaska, they seem to be coming up uh, pretty quickly. And it's, uh, is it, is it a, what kind of concern do you folks have? very much concerned i mean i think we're seeing a rise that um, is going up rapidly it hasn't overwhelmed our healthcare system but that's always the worry um, and it, it's probably a reflection of not keeping your distance it, you know we we don't like the term social distancing because we're social people but physical distancing uh, you know, if you're not wearing a mask, you're exposing somebody to your air that you exhale, um, which could contain a virus. Um, so I think it's a combination, and we're seeing more people out doing things. Um, we're seeing more congregations of individuals, social gatherings um, that we didn't see two months ago. So th- this is expected. It's a direct correlation between mm-hmm. that and the yeah. spike in the numbers. And now you have, um, for the first time, I heard the governor yesterday talking about hospital capacity and that the hospital capacity seems okay right now and you're in a manageable situation. Mm -hmm. But it was the first time I actually ever heard them talk about it like it is beginning to become something we're going to have to look at. Well, we've been looking at that all along is what do we have because our major <clears throat> tertiary care or advanced care centers are in Anchorage at Providence, uh, Alaska Regional and um, the uh, Alaska Native mm-hmm. Medical Center. So we've been watching their bed capacities, which was somewhere around 300 um, and and how they're using it. And sometimes, depending on the, the day that ICU bed capacity goes down because of other illnesses, which fortunately are probably more short-lived than those individuals who end up on ventilators with coronavirus. They seem to be, they take a long time to decide what they're going to do. So we see times where there may be a decrease. We don't have as many ICU beds available, but it's, you know, somebody's having a heart attack. They need, before they can step down to a lesser unit, so we're we're following those trends all along, um, and I can guarantee you that Dr. Zink and the state is watching that very very closely, as we all are. Going, man, if we get a surge of patients who all of a sudden require critical care, are we ready? And if we can flatten the curve, as uh, Shanna said, and just keep those numbers low, then we can handle them. So, what is our normal hospital capacity here? I mean, do so we're we're a, a unique hospital called a critical access. So we have capacity for 25 beds, and and actually because of that critical access designation, we can have 12. I I believe it's 12 um, that can be a swing bed where somebody needs 
extended care they don't qualify for the um, extended care center or the nursing home or there's not room there but they can't really go home so we have this unique um, ability to have that some of those rooms available for that we um, have four OB rooms one of those is designated um, a negative pressure that they can you know patient can go into that room if they're a pregnant lady or we're concerned about coronavirus we have a a pod with uh, one two three four rooms that are it's screened off negative pressure if we need them um, and then we have our general medical beds as well and then we have the alternative care side. And, and then it, right when we have the alternative <coughs> care site at North Star which fortunately we have not had to use I guess what I was asking is that's total capacity but at any given time without COVID being in the picture what what is what is a normal capacity how many people are in there uh, so yesterday they um, they have a lot of patients on the med surge floor and I think they had some OB patients so they were roughly 80 percent but today that could be entirely different because if if they're obstetrical patients they don't stay in the hospital very long other patients can be discharged too either because they may be you know if they had a surgical procedure and they were watched overnight so that's in flux but um, we haven't been full capacity at a hundred percent you know I, I guess I, that's the way I'm looking at the right. Anchorage numbers and thinking well that sounds like a big number but how many people are actually in the hospital because of COVID right now and how many of this these people are just in the hospital because of something else so it, uh, I, I imagine capacity would change a lot depending on what the need is so you could move some of these other people that are in there taking capacity into a different facility and still have more exactly. ability to exactly, treat people yes. the but Alaska DHSS website has uh, all the information the ICU capacity how full it is now the mm -hmm. hospital bed capacity and then how many patients are hospitalized for COVID and it's just a handful now if I, or the last time I looked I, uh, and so I'm just looking at the uh, this came off of KTVA this morning that they got from the Alaska that says uh, 18 patients are actually hospitalized because of COVID so that's not very many patients when you look at the whole state the only difference is between us if you if you read some of the news and watch some of the newscasts and you see the you know um where this is really blowing up right now in arizona and texas and some of those places but they have icu beds within driving distance mm -hmm. you know they can they can take their overflow and send it to another part of you know where there's not as much going on within driving or a quick hop and, and that's one of the things we kind of lack in Alaska. So we have to watch even our, our capacity right. a little more yeah. carefully than we might in other parts of the country. That's very true. And medevac is also a limited resource yeah. that we would need to use. Sure. But, and Houston went from, you know, Texas not having a lot of capacity of, you know, their hospitals filled to now Houston is just overflowing. IC units are overflowing into the mm. hallways. So it really can go from not looking like much of anything's happening to being overwhelmed pretty quickly. So it well, it's the progression of watching the horror story from the East Coast move to the Midwest and right. now move to the West, and and we're up here on our own, sort of. So I'm going to sound like a 
cracked record. I'm not sure a lot of people even know what that means. But <laughs> we're back to the things that we have that we know that work mm -hmm. are wearing a mask, physical distancing, washing your hands, and trying to help the healthcare system and the rest of us out to keep the numbers low so that we can handle them and don't get overwhelmed. So we know it's we know it's in the community and we know it's it's coming. I mean, are, are you surprised somewhat that with all the testing that's going on, is it just we haven't turned those tests around yet to know that 9 through 15 are in town or um, we just got lucky? I think it's very likely they're here. We just have not seen them. Um, I'm sure there's cases in town. And, you know, really, truly, there's always the debate, too, about testing or not testing because what we can do for COVID is symptomatic. So really, whether you have the test or not, you should be staying home if you're sick and staying away from people and doing that kind of thing. And so um, there may be people too who have been ill and didn't see somebody to get tested. That's very, very likely. You know, there's not, I mean, a lot of places are like, well, you know, especially early on, it was kind of like, well, test, yes, but that's still not helping because we there's just, it's symptomatic. There's not a lot we can do with that positive test. Well, it makes it really difficult for you to do, you know, because, you know, in the past, if you felt sick, that you stayed away from people to protect them. And, you or know. you went to work and took your Tylenol and your NyQuil and oh. didn't, you know, I mean, oh, we that's, the, that's the thing. Is like, um, you didn't do that kind of thing. Of course not. I, I <laughs> don't do that. But. <laughs> All right, so there, there, there's some some already some discussion at the state level that uh, we move too fast and that maybe we're going to have to start rolling things back a little bit. Um, at least in re the governor yesterday was talking about maybe changing the mandates in regards to bars. Um, who makes the decision? I guess this is a, a big picture <laughs> question and it's, it's one of those things that's, uh, you know, it's one of those things it's 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 you know who sets down the mandates for a community the the medical community the the well, it's, it's you know? a combination but i mean you look at our i mean you know we start out at the federal level you know but our our current system in the united states is the states are in charge of their own stuff you know and so then it comes down to the governors but then the governors are kind of like well yes we can put out these mandates but then it's also up to the communities to do what they want to do so it's a real mishmash kind of of levels of mandates and really all the mandates in the world we can make um you know there's very few um ways to make people be accountable to them you know it, you know you could yes you could let, not let somebody on an airplane but or maybe not let somebody you'll see outside there's been confrontations where us you know, places mandating that that patrons wear masks and people don't want to, and they're like, well, we can refuse to serve you then. Although when you're a small community and you're a small business, you can't very well afford to turn away customers either. Um, so th that's part of it. You know, it's just really hard. You can put all the mandates out there and we can hope that a lot of them work, but that's... Dr. Zink was saying in one of our ECHO meetings that she is in communication with the governor and the state mm -hmm. officials all pretty the time. much daily yeah at this point so i think they really are taking the input from medical providers and trying to weigh uh, we're always weighing risks versus benefits and trying to make the best decision kind of in the middle of, of that but yeah it is uh, it is hard to know in this 
again, virus hasn't been around, so we really, it's hard to know what's going to happen next, or if we change this, what's going to, yeah. how's that going to affect us? And really, it's everybody's brains just like kind of here, and you know, like the EOC is constantly, you know, putting out feelers, you know, to the community, what do you think? And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, the school district meeting with providers to kind of see what's safe for fall. So I think that everybody's trying to take in all the advice that they can from all the different areas and then balance them, weigh them in together. It's a hard, hard road to navigate, yeah. isn't it? Um, let me, uh, something that we touched on, I'll just kind of end with this for this week. Um, when Dr. Mortensen was in here last week and you, I, I had some, when does something go from a a, a report you know, we have a report about these kind of uh, of a connection between this and a and a, and a particular disease, and um, how does it progress from these are just reports to this is actually something trustworthy that you can rely on? My report. You mean like a there's a, conne- there's a connection between this particular drug and, uh, 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 um, and a good effect for COVID. So, you know, there's the anecdotal, hey, I heard this works kind of stuff. And, and sometimes that, it, I mean, we rely on that. But when it really comes down to can we trust the data, it takes good studies that are well done, um, they're double-blinded where the person administering something or doing something doesn't know. They don't have a clue whether they're given a drug or a placebo. I mean, that's where the real good, hard information comes from. But sometimes those are those take time. Um, and we're, we're, it's been four months, believe it or not, since we really have been hit with this. You know, sometime around the 1st of March, we went, oh, my gosh, it seems like 50 years. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, back to your question is we're we're getting lots of reports and then people start going, hmm, let's look at that more in depth. Let's do more scientific studies. And and so it really comes down to good quality studies. um, And those um, are there. Um, and that's really what we lie on, rely on. The other reports, you always have to go, how well was it done? Can we really trust the information? Was it just somebody's perception of it? And in all of this, you have to remember that when we're looking for what we want to hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I want to hear that masks work. I think they do work. But other people are going, masks don't work, and there is somebody out there to support that. Because we want to hear it. In the end, we have to look at good science to really help us out. And that's, that's, they're working on that. And I really want to put a, a, a piece in there, too. It's like when you're reading through your Facebook scroll and you're seeing all these things come up there, look at where they're from. Look who's doing that. Is that a, is that a, you know, mm-hmm. Steve's talking about studies and those studies, then they take a bunch of other people, they replicate the study and then they have, you know, a bunch of, you know, people knowledgeable in that field review it and all that kind of stuff. 
So when you're hearing things to really look at where that information is coming from, is that a reputable source? Was this a, well, you know, those kinds of things. And, you know, cause people tend to just jump onto anything sure. yeah. they hear, you know, especially if it feeds into their bias, their personal beliefs. And I think from the coronavirus, I mean, I look, if it comes from the CDC, the NIH, those have a stronger reputation as opposed to, you know, Facebook, I heard <laughs> it here. And so you, you really have to look at the source of the information. And, and um, you know, I think our state um, Department of Epidemiology is doing a very good job of providing us what's going on in the state. As Elsa said, sometimes paperwork lags behind. Um, and then uh, for the physicians, they, the um, Department of Epidemiology does a really good synopsis about what's going on with current studies, what's been done, what's worked, what's not, so. And our in the state works very closely with yes. CDC. Yes. That's where they're, you know, working that system. Why I asked is there's so much information out there right now, and it's hard to figure out what is what is just anecdotal and what has actually been filtered through and is is true proven. So that I think that there's a lot of tendency to find something on the internet that comes from a medical study of some variety, and then people take it to be fact, mm -hmm. and they they start self-treating themselves for things and um, developing a bias as to why something would work. So how, how do you, you're saying go to a trusted site. As a, as a physician though, how do you consume that kind of information? When you see a story about that, does it affect your, you, you know, do you just think it through and then wait for somebody else to act on it? Well, I always look at where the information came from, you know, and so you c because you can't absorb everything. Oh. Um, so I have to, you know, I look and go, okay, it came from this source, you know, National Institutes of Health, CDC. Um, that's probably more reputable. So though, so I just if if it's not from something like that, and, and then you know, the American College of Family Physicians has a good resource. Um, the American College of Emergency Physicians, internal medicine. So those medical organizations, you know, Journal of American Medical Association or JAMA, the New England Journal of Medicine, yeah, those articles and studies are poor, more a good reputable source to look at. And guaranteed, if, if there's been something put out there and it's questionable, people are all over it. So those are kind of the, I just filter, that's, if it's not from those areas, then I'm not trying to spend a lot of time looking at it. Yeah. If I see a claim on Facebook, I will investigate, you know, go mm -hmm. do more mm -hmm. research about, you know, <coughs> does it increase your, do does wearing masks increase your carbon dioxide level or is it killing yeah. people? And if so, where's that data coming from? Because uh -huh. we obviously don't want to harm anybody and we want people to be safe. And so I think it isn't, you know, every time I see something like that through my feed, I go investigate further. Yeah, sure. and, and that's looking at the data and looking at other studies that have been done and, you know, peer-reviewed peer is sort of the magic words where there's a mm -hmm. lot of different either duplicate studies or lots of um, people that are really well known in that field have reviewed those, how those studies were done to see if they were, uh, if that was good information. 
So as a rule of thumb, is it worth somebody's time to go to WebMD? You know, is that a good resource for people to go to as a substitute for going to see their family physician? Not a substitute. Not a substitute. Or is it to, to help <laughs> you? Yeah, well, I don't want to take business away from you, but... From what I've read, WebMD, I think, has pretty reputable information. I think they do follow, you know, all the other um, organizations that were just mentioned. But I... I don't... I don't think it's a I don't substitute. go onto their site, so I, I yeah. can't comment. Huh. I, I mean, you could maybe glean some information about whether you should be seen or not, or worried about something, but certainly not to treat yourself. Or I would think I'd be treating myself for a lot of things <laughs> I didn't have. That's exactly <laughs> what happens. Exactly. That's an Google. offline discussion. That's huge, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think there's any treatment for some of the things. I have. Hey, well, uh, I, uh, here we are, July first. And we're uh, still talking about this, so, and we'll still be talking about it again in the future. So just to kind of close, going back to the mass, we've been hearing a lot of, you know, it's my right not to, and, and you just have to remember that this virus is apolitical. It doesn't mm -hmm. care what you think. It loves that we get together in groups, and it allows it to do what it is designed to do, and that's jump from person to person. So... You know, I, it's unfortunate the mask issue has become a political issue, a right-to-wear issue. I mean, it's just you're doing what's good common sense trying to help you and other individuals, and that's keeping the spread down, keeping your distance, um, and I can't reiterate that enough. And so I think the masks are one. We don't have a lot to fight this virus right now. We have masks, we have physical distance, and separation keeping people away from each other and, and not playing mind. into the virus's mm -hmm. design yeah That's exactly right well thanks you guys appreciate it you have Thank a you. safe and pleasant week and uh hope you get a chance to go outside and enjoy yourself mm -hmm. for a little bit while we have this beautiful weather ahead of us Thank you. All right, thank you. Even should be here telling everybody to go out and take walks. Yes. Take, <laughs> hug trees. <laughs> hug trees. That's what we heard yesterday. All right, thank you. Thank you. Thanks.